Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and tonight I don't have a co-host, just me. Once again, midweek, going behind enemy lines, Penn State heading into Kinnick Stadium for a 3v4 matchup against the Iowa Hawkeyes, pair of undefeated teams, first Big Ten uh, top five matchup that doesn't include Ohio State since like the first Bush was president or something. And it's going to be a fascinating football game. We decided we were going to go out and get some insight from uh, a friend over at our sister site, Go Iowa Awesome. We got Ben Lewis here uh, to give us a glimpse at the Hawkeyes. Ben, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, Bill? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I, we were talking a bit before this pod, but like, I'm entering this week a little bit worried because I think this is going to just be an all-out war. Oh, yeah. I think this is going to be one of those classic Big Ten conservative, gross, nobody wants to make a mistake, so everybody plays it really, really tight. Doesn't take too many chances. They pick a spot here or there, but mostly it's going to be just a, a you slug it out. We're going to just bodies crashing into each other nonstop. That's what I see. Yeah, neither of us are expecting uh, a, a 55-24 to 24 win on uh, either side of this, it seems like it's oh, fair to Lovely callback. Uh, we, we appreciate that on the <laughs> Iowa side of things. Thank you. Listen, I, I will always go for the cheap pop. I feel like you need to do that if you're a podcast host. But uh, we're not going to sit here and make fun of Ohio State too much just because Ben and I both think Ohio State is still probably a pretty good football team. What I want to do is I want to learn a bit about Iowa, and I want to learn a bit about this Iowa team. But before we get into what they have done this season, uh, Ben, I'm interested in the expectations that were around this team entering the season. Because with Iowa, it seems like from an outsider, the entire thing is one year where they were six, win six games, one or two years where they win eight or nine games, one year where they win 11 games. And you could like predict that out. Was there a belief that this uh, this Iowa team was going to be one of those, this is an 11-win team, this is a wins the Big Ten West team, this is a competes for a Big Ten championship team, this is a New Year's Six team, or is this a team that has so far surprised the Hawkeye faithful a little bit? Well, that's definitely surprised. That's the correct answer. Before the season would have started, I would have said, chalk Iowa up for an 8-4 eight, eight and four season. They kind of just miss out to a Big Ten West title to probably Wisconsin. Uh, you know, and it's a solid year, but but there were just too many question marks for for being better than that. We just didn't know how good our defensive line was going to be. We had lots of doubts about Petrus, which you know, we'll talk a little bit more about, but the, a lot of worries about the offense and didn't know how good the defense was going to be. So I would have said eight and four. They definitely exceeded those expectations for sure. It's that's interesting because what what I think about this Iowa team and my watching of them is that they play like a team. And again, you very much correct me if I'm wrong. They play like a team that has so much confidence and experience and understanding of what they want to do that. I don't want to say we should have seen coming that they were very good, but it just seems like they have built on what they've done last year. The offense is really smart and really efficient. You know, they're not going to blow you away, which is the thing we'll get into. This defense is a group of killers that somehow turn you over on every single possession, and I've never seen anything like it. How much of this Iowa team are guys that were around last year, and how much of this Iowa team are guys that have kind of ascended from seemingly out of nowhere to be contributors? So the experience coming on the defensive side was the secondary. We knew our secondary would be good. Um, you know, they are pretty much every year. Not that Iowa's a reload as opposed to a rebuild team, but Phil Parker is tremendous. And the secondary is usually very good at a minimum and anywhere from very good to excellent. And we had a ton of experience coming back with Matt Hankins, Riley Moss, Jack Kerner, um, Gavon Merriweather, all coming back transfers. in. we just knew we had a lot of depth there. And we also had Jack Campbell coming in. who's really kind of built like an outside linebacker, but because he's got other people, he plays in the, in the middle. And we also knew he was really good. So we actually really felt good about our back seven. The, the only question mark was the defensive line. The only starter coming back was Zach Van Valkenburg. Uh, he was a really, really solid contributor last year, but there were probably some other guys that outshined him with their skill. And he came back, you know, became a super duper senior, like six year starter because of the free COVID year. Um, and there were some other guys coming back that were kind of role players last year. But the big surprise was just how good the defensive line is played. They do a heavy rotation. There's not the A.J. Epineza. There's not any of those superstar killer guys who are going to come in and just wreak havoc necessarily by themselves. 
but they always have fresh legs. A lot of guys are getting, you know, 10, 15 snaps up, up to 30, 40. Zach Van Belkenberg gets the most, but they just always have fresh legs, and the rotations worked really, really well. Maryland was their worst game pressure-wise for sure, but we were their ability to control the game and really disrupt things for the quarterback has contributed to those interceptions. <laughs> um, some of it's quarterbacks losing their mind, frankly, and we can't take all the credit. I couldn't tell you what uh, – you know, Leah was doing it the, the Maryland game. He just seemed to forget completely how to play football. But yeah, I mean. so, okay. So real quick, I watched a bit of that game, and I went into it thinking we're probably getting a Friday Night Maryland performance out of here. Were you sure. watching that game and just like on cloud? Like, what went through your mind during that? Because I, like I don't like I would probably have lost control of all four of my limbs if like I watched Penn State's defense do that to a quarterback. I, it was it happened so fast that you almost didn't didn't process it. It was like stupefying. You're like, what? You didn't have time. Like it was just digesting, right? I mean, there's like a five or six play sequence where they lose their best wideout. Uh, Iowa gets the ball in the end zone, intercepted again, score, and you're like, wait. All of a sudden, it's it's 24 to seven. And you know, when Iowa gets even a two score lead, I feel really really good because this defense is that great. I think. And then all of a sudden the offense is scoring too, and you're just like, wait, it's what's happening here? It's 31 to seven, and you're just trying to. It just doesn't make sense. You just can't even process it. But then by the second half, it was a little bit of that settling in. I mean, the game was decided. But then you're just like, all right, I'm just watching Iowa play scrimmage in the second half, and it's super fun. And you're just sipping a beer on a Friday night, like imagining the possibilities. So yeah, it was. But I don't think they get all the credit. I mean, he's just was throwing at dudes, and it's happened three times now this year where you're just seeing the quarterback play, and you're like. I don't understand what they're doing. Panics had it happen. Brock Purdy just like not aren't seeing the field and they're just chucking it up to guys that are super well covered. Like I don't know what what's happening in their brain. They seem to just lose their faculties. I don't know how else to describe it because it's nuts. It is nuts. So you that's something I kind of want to dig into a little bit later. But what I want to ask first before we go into Iowa and the offensive and defensive sides of the football. Is that how have the expectations changed through the first five weeks of the season? Like you mentioned, the expectation seemed like it was going to be a very solid and very respectable Iowa team. Uh, but through five weeks, 5-0, and kick the hell out of Indiana and Maryland, uh, beat Iowa State in a game that I don't think was quite as close as a 10-point margin uh, seemed like just seemed like Iowa was in control of that game. Then a pair of wins over a uh, group of five schools. Has it gone to, well, kind of two separate questions here. Is the thought that this Iowa team is good enough to compete to win the Big Ten? Or is the thought, listen, they're going to win 10 or 11 games. That's just how the schedule breaks down. But the Big Ten West is bad this year. And there's a chance they're going to come back to reality once they get to the Big Ten championship game once they get to the New Year's Six, whatever that might be. So, yeah, it has shifted. I mean, with the look at the schedule before, and now we know more stuff about the season. We know that this Indiana team is actually really not that great. Penix was maybe not ready to come back. He looks really tentative. Iowa State's had a letdown. But before the season started, we were kind of hoping for a split, I think, for those first games. I think it would be either Indiana or Iowa State, preferably Indiana because of uh, the implications for the Big Ten uh, West race. Great. We've been pretty happy with that. I mean, we just really thought it was going to be a challenge to win that road game against Iowa State. And even before the Maryland game, at least for me and I think a big sect of the Iowa team, um, Iowa faithfuls, really worried about just a letdown. The offense, this is the first, the Maryland game was the first game where the offense really showed up. The offense has been not just mediocre, but just flat out bad for four games. On the positive side, they haven't had to do much, but they also haven't shown that they could do much. So we were all really anxious after those group of five teams, you know, Kent State and Colorado. Those were games where we felt super great about our offense, and that's been our big worry. We'd be happy to have a perfectly average offense would be wonderful. And we finally got to see that with Friday night. So at that point, I know my expectations shift, and I would say most, that I think the floor for this team is a Big Ten West title and playing in the Big Ten title game. As far as whether or not they can win that game, it depends on who they play. We talked a little bit earlier. I'm most worried about Ohio State. I think Iowa matches up well with Michigan and Penn State, not that they – wouldn't necessarily beat either of those teams, but if they play Penn State or Michigan, I think it'd be a, a competitive game that Iowa could potentially win. So they have a shot at the Big Ten title. But I think the Big Ten West has shown itself to be really terrible. Nebraska's probably the second best team, despite the fact they already have three losses and they make lots of dumb <laughs> mistakes. You know, I think that's probably the truth. 
yeah. or Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin had a brutal schedule to start. I mean, Penn State's great, obviously, so that loss doesn't look quite so bad uh, against them. Penn State's not let anybody score at least 20 points, more than 20 points yet, so that looks better. So Wisconsin could rise up and, and compete for the number two spot, but it's like, look, I was the most talented team, most well-coached. Clearly, this is things are just coalescing in that special season where everything's coming around, and this team is a lot more talented than the team in 2015 that made it to the uh, Big Ten title game. I think they're just they're just better and they're deeper. Um, and they just believe, you know. So I think the, the worst that would happen is expect Iowa. It'd be disappointing if they went nine and three at this point. Because they should should tend to should be the absolute worst that they do. And that should be enough to go to the Big Ten title game. So that yeah. that's shifting. You know what you know what's funny? I haven't like I know it's obviously going to happen, but I hadn't yet thought of Graham Mertz against this defense and just oof. Goodness gracious, that is like I'm probably not going to watch that football game just because it might be the first one to six points wins. But oh yeah, oof, God yeah, they're gonna that 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 should be a fun one. Uh, let's talk about Iowa on both sides. Excuse me, both sides of the football. Uh, I look at this Iowa team, and we'll talk about the defense in a second. But I am fascinated by this Iowa offense. Number 15th in SP+, 72nd in offensive SP+. The stat that, that like blows my mind is that Iowa, by uh, about three percentage points, leads the nation in the percentage of their drives that start in the opponent's territory. A quarter of their drives start in the other team's territory. So my question is basically, I don't think it's a stretch to say that we have like they Iowa's offense hasn't convinced the college football public large. I don't think that's a big, broad, like uh, off base statement. But please sure. correct me if I'm wrong. How much of the success that this unit has been able to have is because of what they can do, what they can have, what they are running, and how much of that is this defense has been so good that Iowa's offense just has to be able to not shoot themselves in the foot. Well, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, this Iowa team, I, somebody else has said this. This doesn't come from me, but I think it's true. This is this is likely to be the zenith of Ferentz ball. Whatever the, the limits of that, we're, we're probably going to find out. Great defense, great special teams, and just enough offense. We're going to see just how far that approach can, can go this season. Um, you know, some of that is, I think, somewhat sustainable. The, the turnovers aren't, because you're not going to get five turnovers a game. And if you are, then, you know, you're going to win a national title if you get five champion or five turnovers every game. But the special teams play has also been really, really stellar. And that's one of the things that people don't pay a ton of attention to. It's one of those little details that, that Ferentz just absolutely loves. But they have a great punter. They have a great punt returner. Uh, they have a great kicker. Uh, and I think their kickoff coverage, they haven't had to do a lot because there's been a lot of touchbacks. They're constantly getting really, really good field position. That's by design from Ferentz's perspective. Uh, you know, he wants to be able to take no risk. Petrus has gotten a lot of heat, but but he's really no doubt being coached to not turn the ball over. And that's the thing he's done really well. He's only thrown one pick on a on a really kind of bad play call against Colorado State. They want to not turn the ball over, and that's really their, their primary focus. And then Petrus needs to just hit his spots where he can. But the real struggle for the offense has really been the offensive line. Um, I think they know that the offensive line isn't great. There's just some guys who haven't been in the program long enough to get big. They're just undersized relative to how they usually are. Tackles are inexperienced, and they've been really tweaking with combinations all season long to try to figure out what's going to work best. They've gotten a little better on the interior, but they just can't run the ball. That's the real problem. Tyler Goodson's numbers, if you look overall in the aggregate, look pretty good because he's broken some really big runs. But on the whole, he's getting met in the backfield a lot by a lot of teams. Almost every team has been able to, to slow him down considerably. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's by design to have short field. That's what his goal is, and he wants to not put his defense in a bad position. So we'll see how far that can go this season, I think. Yeah, I, I've been – like, I've laughed a few times this week just thinking of the fact that, like, Penn State has been so good in the field position game this year. Uh, one, because Sean Clifford doesn't turn the ball over. We'll talk to that in a second. But two, uh, because they might have the punter with the strongest leg in the conference. And it's just very funny to me that a Penn State-Iowa game could come down to the fact that, like, I, Penn State just has a really good punter. But we'll cross sure. that bridge. We'll cross that bridge sure. and we'll get to it. I want to ask about Spencer Petras. I want to ask about this passing game because – 
there was a there was something that went around earlier this year. I think it was from Bill Connolly, where it was breaking down like the buckets on the field of where Spencer Petrus throws the football. And I have it up in front of me right now. Once you get past 10 yards down the field, he is a below average quarterback. Like I'll DM this to you on Twitter right now so you can get a look at it. But like shock me. He's a good quarterback within 10 yards and in the backfield, good at getting the ball out to his guys. What is just your general vibe on Petrus as a quarterback and this passing game, uh, which as seems like it's legally required to be the case with Iowa, is led by their tight end, Sam Laporta? Yeah, so uh, response is going to depend on, on whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. So three games in, it looked pretty bleak. It was a lot of those short, within 10 yards throws just keeping it close, shallow crosses, slants, screens, tight end rollouts, all that kind of stuff. They weren't taking many shots down the field at all, and this was pretty distressing to watch because if your goal is to run the football really well, and everybody knows this, of course every defense is going to crowd the line of scrimmage and what teams have done it. And, and, and it wasn't until the Colorado State game where we saw them open it up a fair amount and actually chuck it deep with some success, and even more so against Maryland. It was the first time we've seen them throw it deep consistently pretty well. Now, if you want to take those last two weeks and then think, hey, this is a trend, this is where things are going, uh, for my money, I don't think that's going to happen much against Penn State. But generally speaking, if you think it's a trend, then he's going to get better and become a better quarterback at throwing downfield. He's thrown some really pretty balls. He did at the end of last season as well. He has, I think, a better deep ball than Nate Stanley. This was our big knock on, on Nate Stanley when he was a quarterback for three years is that he just didn't hit the deep shots. Peaches has hit them the last couple of weeks. But before then, it was high percentage throws, close to line of scrimmage with guys catching it and getting blown up by you know linebackers who were just waiting to pounce on these really short, safe, unlikely to be interception kind of routes. And I think some of those by design because he knew, uh, by he I mean Brian Ferentz and, and Kirk Ferentz in this situation, they knew, okay, we've got a great defense and special teams, we're going to not screw it up for them, so we're going to call it safe. We're going to ease into this. We're going to get our, our offensive line some more reps because they're just really, really green, and we're going to play it safe. So the objective view is that it'll get better, but his main job is to not turn the ball over. That's job one, two, three, four, and five for, for Spencer Petrus, and he's been doing that really well. Uh, and then if he can hit some deep shots, that's where Iowa starts to be dangerous. And he hit, hit a few against Maryland, which was nice to see. That's why I'm most excited for the rest of the season. And then what about the pass catchers? Like, I is Laporta in that, like, it's unfair to do this to any kid, but just because this is the lineage that Iowa has, is he in that Noah Van, TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, next great Iowa tight end mold? Is he a very nice tight end? And then who are the other guys in the passing game? Because I looked down uh, the list of reception leaders in very Iowa fashion. It goes tight end, running back, and then a pair of wide receivers. Yep. Yeah, no, the wide receivers have been not a big part of the game plan, another cause of distress, especially the first three games in. So, no, I think it's it's totally fair to put Laporta on Iowa's tight end legacy. I don't know if he's going to be as good as George Kittle or TJ Hawkinson, because these are some of the best tight ends in the NFL right now. But there have been a lot of dudes that Iowa drafted that played in the NFL and maybe weren't like all pros, like CJ Fedorowicz um, and some other dudes like this that were really solid NFL tight ends, but maybe weren't all world. He's a great pass catcher. He's the safety valve, right? He can find a little hole in the zone for a, a completion on third down. Certainly he's the guy that Petrus is going to go to. If like, I really need a, uh, to get a completion for a big play, he's going to be the first option. I think that's by design from the offense and also Spencer Peaches just trusts him more than anybody else. Uh, after that, it's a real scatter shot. I mean, yeah, there isn't any wide receiver that stands out. Charlie Jones has made a couple of nice plays. Tyron Tracy's kind of underwhelmed at this point, but I also think he's been getting the most attention. Um, doesn't have a ton of size, but uh, he's very explosive when he does get the ball. And then they have a couple of freshmen who, because there's been this opening, uh, Arlen Bruce got his first touchdown against Maryland and Keegan Johnson a couple Weeks ago, got his first on a 46-yard, on really well-thrown ball against Colorado State. These guys are showing up, but there's no one wide receiver that's going to jump out. I mean, it's going to be Laporta, and it's going to be Goodson. And Goodson's the most explosive playmaker that Iowa has, bar none. There's really no debate there. He's the best in open field. Very tough to tackle. If he gets some space, he can do some damage. And So they're, they're going those safe throws at the tight end and then the 
running back. I mean, that's that's by design. So they're they're really good. And I think Laporte, yeah, he'll get drafted in the NFL. If that's what you're, you're asking. Um, and he just continues Iowa's tight end legacy. Yeah, Petrus uh, last year in Happy Valley in the game that, uh, you know, I think calling it disastrous for Penn State kind of undersells how bad it was. Uh, 18 sure. for 28, 186 yards, ran one in for a touchdown. Uh, the kind of, it, It's interesting, though, because I'm going back and I'm looking at this game, and it looked like Penn State did bottle Goodson up a little bit, 20 carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Makai Sargent was the guy who uh, tore Penn State apart 15 101, 6.7 yards per carry, a pair of touchdowns. When I think of Iowa, uh, I am always going to think, Ben, of their ability to run the football and their ability to control games on the ground. It seems like Goodson is the kind of guy who is talented enough to do that. If he's able to get a little bit of room, he's going to exploit it. It does sound to me, though, like despite the fact that I know the interior of their offensive line uh, – has some talent on it. It sounds like you have a little bit of concern about their ability to consistently run the ball in the way that I think a lot of us think of when it comes to Iowa. Is that fair to say? Oh, loads of concern. It's, and so I, I love Iowa has has kind of lived off of a decades-long reputation for being a, a really good running football team. And I think that's a bit undeserved at this point because they haven't really been a consistently good running team for a while now. And um, I was running, I think, less than two yards a carry against Colorado State. I don't have in front of me. And we were talking, Goodson had 3.3 yards a carry, something like that, against Maryland. They occasionally had some holes for him to run through. Most of the yardage got him just making really, really athletic plays. Uh, the Iowa zone running scheme is just very difficult. If you have one person who makes a mistake and then it's done, I mean, you need all the guys working exactly well and doing their job or else it's going to get blown up. And Goodson, I think, is terrific, but he's at – guys in his face, the line of scrimmage constantly, even against teams you'd consider bad. So yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I would be shocked if Iowa runs the ball well against Penn State. It would be a, a huge surprise to me. I just don't think it's very likely. Iowa wants to run the ball well. They just haven't done that for, frankly, years, I would say at this point. Interesting. I mean, what it's, what it basically sounds like you were describing to me, uh, whether you're intending to do this or not, I guess it was your not intending to do this is your talk. It's reminds me a lot about that 2017 game uh, in Kinnick. Penn State ends up winning 21 19, where Penn State had a, a very, very good running back in Akronwad. We bottled up for basically all of that football game. And then in the waning moments of the game, Wad, we just found a little bit of space and exploited it. Is that how you basically think? if Goodson is going to be able to get yards against Penn State, it's going, to come, it's going to come just from him being so good and having such a little bit of window of a window to exploit that he is going to do that if he gets it. Yeah, that's it. I was running game to this point, especially with Goodson has been boom or bust. It's really felt that way. I mean, awesome, sexy 56 yard carry against Indiana from a, a guy just losing contain basically. So he bounces it outside uh, a couple of really clever play calls against Kent state for really big runs. Uh, he had that awesome, you know, pass, you know, catch against Maryland you know, a few days ago, where he just outruns the entire Maryland defense down the field, jukes a guy. He's fantastic in open space, and if he has a sliver space, he can absolutely burn the Penn State defense. But I don't think he's going to have defense. Uh, I don't think he's going to have space very often. So I think that's fair to say. Boomer bust is really how Iowa's running game has been. I think that's a fair descriptor. Well, let's move on to the other side of the football, which is like the fat the coolest thing about this game because Iowa's defense sure. is disgusting like a stat that I love that I saw uh in the lead up to this game uh opponents are running 11.6 plays per every point scored against Georgia's defense which is number one in the country number sure. two is Penn State number four is Iowa as you can guess the gap between Georgia and Penn State is considerably larger than sure. the gap between Penn State and Iowa because Georgia is scary. But when I've watched this Iowa defense, I have seen a defense that just like causes the brains of quarterbacks to short circuit. You had, you said that thing a little bit earlier in the pod about they've made three quarterbacks, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, God, why can't I think of the kid? At, Brock, uh, Brock Birdie. Birdie. There we go. Uh, and then Talia Tagovailoa, their brains just short circuit. They said, I don't know what I'm doing. That sort of thing. 
how is this Iowa defense so good? And you mentioned that the like opposing quarterbacks are kind of just forgetting what to do. I mean, I would argue that since we've seen it on three separate occasions, it's not necessarily those quarterbacks, right? It's Iowa's defense is just good at making the opposing team's quarterbacks do that. Uh, to a certain extent. I mean, it's tough to rely on quarterbacks losing their mind that much because you really would think that they could kind of refocus and recenter and reset and figure stuff out. But it's a product of, of you know, they the, the story is well known in Iowa. They run their cover to almost exclusively. They rarely blitz, which is true. They want to get pressure from the four and they want to play coverage. Their goal is to do two things primarily. They want to absolutely stop you from being able to run the ball. And they absolutely want to keep take away the big play. That's what they want. And they are absolutely yards to be had if you want to eat underneath the, the defense and find those little little holes in the zone. That's always there for Iowa. You've got to be patient. Uh, you got to do that consistently. Uh, but when they get a lead, that's where things just – their confidence grows. They'll take a little bit more risks, maybe you know be a little more aggressive, maybe try to dupe people in pass coverage like Penix got. I mean, Riley Moss did the uh, classic Deion Sanders just waited – baited him into a bad throw and jumped the route for a pick six because they were up big and could be really, really aggressive in coverage and how they're going to play and how they're going to try to psych quarterbacks out. And they've been able to get pressure consistently. Um, said Maryland games aside, the other, the pressure has been really, really consistent. So folks have not been able to sit back. You saw the one really good drive that um, Taco Bailoa had. He sat back and he picked Iowa's zone apart, five or six for 70 yards and, and moved the ball right down the field. He wasn't pressured, and, and he was able to, to eat up big chunks of yardage. But most quarterbacks haven't had that much time to be able to do that consistently over a drive. So who are the players that you think we're going to need uh, to watch on this Iowa defense? Because you mentioned there's no A.J. Epinesa on the defensive line. Is there that Josie Jewell type at uh, linebacker? Is there that type of cornerbacker safety who we're going to be watching – uh, in the NFL in, you know, five, 10, whatever years and going, man, that guy reminds me of Micah Hyde. Like just, are there those sorts of game changing players or is it just a unit where all 11 guys are so well coached and so aware of what they want to do that they're going to be able to win football games off of that? Well, so it's mostly guys really having the responsibilities and knowing them and sticking to their role. But there are definitely some playmakers. Jack Campbell and Justin Jacobs are two linebackers. Well, Justin Jacobs kind of in the cash role. Some people call it the bullet. You know, it's that hybrid linebacker safety role. He was just basically like a nickelback, but um, being able to play coverage and, and also the run. Um, those two guys have been involved in a lot of the turnovers that I was had. Jack Campbell had 18 tackles a couple weeks ago. He flies to the ball. He's the big leader, and he he sets the tone. So he's in that Josie Jewell mode. Uh, you mentioned it, but, yeah, he's, he's just really, really incredible. He deflected a pass for an interception um, against Maryland. He caused fumbles, recovered fumbles, and he's right there in the mix of every play. And Justin Jacobs is also athletic enough that he can play tight ends, and I um, – you know, and, and actually, you know, he did a really good job against Kohler, against Iowa State's tight end, who's terrific. Uh, so those would be the two guys to watch. I mean, as far as defensive linemen, if Iowa has a good day, it'll be different guys that are that are winning their matchup periodically and getting to the quarterback. That's usually when Iowa's defense is at their best. It's not likely to be one defensive lineman that, that shreds it. Riley Moss is excellent in coverage, as is Matt Hankins. He probably could have got drafted last year, decided to come back. So those are some defensive backs that I think you might see in the NFL. Um, they're really, really good with coverage, and they're really, really smart and well-coached. You know, they just they just know what to look for. And Phil Parker's a tremendous defensive coordinator. So uh, it's mostly just every guy working together is the short yeah. answer. Uh, uh, one, one question uh, before we start getting into predictions and uh, planning stuff out. I think one thing that probably stuck with a lot of Penn State games Penn State fans from that 2017 game uh, was the fact that every time Trace McSorley tried throwing the football, it seemed like AJ Evanesa or Anthony Nelson was just like Dikembe Mutomboing it. Our Iowa's defensive line full of guys who were like six seven with seven foot five wingspans again, or are they a little more um, normal proportion? No, it varies. Depends on which guy you're talking about. But they're, <laughs> I mean, they're well coached, so they're uh, they're good at, at keeping their their hands up. I mean, you could. A couple of inter interceptions have been because the guy does a bull rush, doesn't quite get there, but gets his hand up and deflects a pass. 
that you know the secondary picks up. And Iowa plays a lot of zone, so those tip passes are super dangerous against the Iowa defense just because they all have their eyes on the quarterback and the ball so they can see what's happening and react and make a play. But, yeah, no, I mean, but they'll get their hands out there. I mean, they're, they're going to be looking to cause turnovers. I mean, they, they know the defense sets the tone for this game. So, sure. but, I mean, even before we get into the predictions, I think I kind of have to ask you uh, just kind of a general thing. Is this a game that I think the narrative on Iowa, and it's something that, like, I subscribe to a little bit. I don't know if uh, this is because it's real or because I would just like it to be the case before Penn State walks in there, is that if you don't give Iowa the football, if you don't give Iowa an extra two three, four possessions, all of which are on their side of the 50, you know, it's just you're kind of sapping them of the thing that makes them so dangerous. Like, is that something that you subscribe to? Do you think that this Iowa team can win this game if they're not forcing Sean Clifford, if they're not forcing Penn State's running backs into a bunch of mistakes? Or do you think it's something where it's like, listen, they're going to need to go out there and they're going to be able to need to force turnovers because that's just what this specific game is going to call for. No, I mean, I think your instinct's correct. I mean, if, if Penn State's able to force Iowa to constantly drive the length of the field, 75, 70, 80 yards, and put the pressure on Iowa's offense to, to do that, that's going to be a big win for Penn State. That's not something I think Iowa's going to be able to do. I mean, if Iowa has one successful touchdown drive from like their side of the field, I'd be really excited about it, let alone two or three. I don't think I was going to be able to consistently drive the ball. So setting up that short field. Now it's not just defense. If you told me Penn state's not going to turn the ball over, I'd be pretty anxious and probably think they're going to win. The only thing that might think maybe think otherwise is they've got Charlie Jones. Who's a tremendous punt returner. Who's constantly flipping field. Even when the other punter does a better job than Tory Taylor, which happened in Colorado state, Charlie Jones was constantly there setting Iowa up. Iowa's first touchdown drive against Maryland. You know, Charlie Jones returns the kickoff and gets the ball to the 41. He almost housed it, but he, he ran into the kicker and kind of stuttered after that. And all of a sudden, they only have to go 40 or what are the 55 yards instead of the, the length of the field. And so I was able to do that. Um, he, he'll, he's a very reckless and exciting punt returner. So he'll be able to set Iowa up for short fields. I think that's going to be, I mean, they're going to, I think it's going to be a game of let's just play keep away and let's play the field position game. I think both coaches are going to lean into that, uh, I think, quite a bit. And so hopefully Iowa has a couple of shorter fields to work with to score because I don't I don't trust the offense enough against the defense. It's good. I mean, Penn State is one of the five best defenses. Yeah, it's behind Georgia. Okay. Uh, one of the five best defenses in college football. And Iowa struggled against worse, much worse defenses than Penn State's. So uh, I, I think – Forcing Iowa to run the length of the field is, is it was what I would want to do if I were James Franklin. Like make them drive. Yeah, the rankings of defensive SP plus uh, number one Georgia, number two Clemson, number three Wisconsin, which I'm sure Penn State fans are going to find that interesting. Number four Iowa, uh, and the number five Penn State. It was actually fun. Be, funny you mentioned that because I was talking to an Iowa fan uh, last week, and they made the point that like, yes, on one hand Iowa needs that like. On one hand, Iowa gets that stuff and they're able to win. And like the conventional wisdom is, well, obviously you just don't do that against Iowa and you're going to win. But they made the point, and it was one that I found pretty interesting. That like, no, this is just what Iowa does. Like, obviously you don't want to rely too terribly much on the other team messing up, but they're actually very good at making the other team mess up. And that's like that's been a thing with Iowa over the years. So like, I just. Can I get your thoughts on that really quickly? Because like that's what's interesting to me, the thought that, wait, maybe the reason that Iowa is able to force Brock Purdy, Michael Penix, Talia Tagovailoa into making those kinds of mistakes is not because of anything other than Iowa's defense is just really good at making you do that and has been for years. Well, they have been. I mean, Kirk's philosophy has always been you know, college quarterbacks aren't going to be able to consistently, if you force them to make, you know, five or six throws every drive to score, college quarterbacks are on the whole not going to be able to do that. You're going to put the pressure on them to be perfect or be really, really good, close to perfect. They're, they're going to mess it up. Now, there have been exceptions to that um, throughout the years for sure, and it doesn't work every season and not every Iowa defense is as talented as this one that we've got. But uh, yeah, that, that's what his, his goal is, is to say, hey, let's let's make you do a lot of reps because you, you're going to make a mistake and then we're going to exploit it. You're going to blink first. We're going to have a staring contest and you're going to blink first. 
and then we'll be off to the races, and then we can really lean on our defense, and and, and that's by design. Uh, game to game, you can't always rely on it, but over the years, I mean, Iowa's got a very good record. They've been consistently good and punching above their weight as far as recruiting rankings are concerned, and that's why the defense is pretty simple. People know how to attack it. It's not like he's not. There's not a lot of trickeration that happens with Iowa's defense, but it's just really sound fundamental play and making you make a mistake, and then it can snowball. I've never seen it snowball as much as it has in these first five games for some quarterbacks. It's really snowballed for some really good quarterbacks. Uh, but you make that first mistake, and then they can lean back and get really, really hungry, and especially if it's two scores and they can keep you one-dimensional, then you're really in trouble. They don't have to respect one aspect of your game. So that's where it gets really excited. But no, I think that makes sense. I mean, that's what they want to do. It just uh, Nobody this year has, has had a – I always gotten at least one turnover – against an opponent every game this year. So nobody's played a mistake-free game. And it's tough to do, but it is possible. And if you do it, you really increase your chances of beating Iowa, I think. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a fun enough thing to mention, I'm sure Penn State fans won't be particularly happy that I mentioned this, is that last year, Penn State was down – Penn State was up 7-3 to three, uh, in the first quarter of that football game. Uh, and then Penn State fumbles – uh, no, uh, Iowa goes up at the start of the second quarter, 10 to seven Penn state fumbles two drives later, touchdown Penn state turns it over on downs, touchdown Penn state fumbles, Iowa touchdown. Uh, I believe, yeah, Penn state throws a pick field goal. Penn state throws a pick six. Like there's just, we've seen it ourselves that things can snowball against Iowa, which kind of leads to let's start making some predictions. Let's start looking at what we think is going to happen in this game. Ben, we'll start by playing a game of fill in the blank, which is first and foremost, Iowa wins this game if blank. Uh, I'll say Penn State turns the ball over more than Iowa or Iowa gets uh, a big special teams play, a punt return, touchdown, block, kick, that kind of thing. That is a wonderfully Big Ten answer to that question. Let's go to the other side of it. Penn State wins this game if blank. It, it's the flip side. Uh, uh, yeah, if Penn, if Iowa has more turnovers than Penn State, uh, Penn State will win. You know, I think what? that's. Yeah. Uh, sorry, no, I, I don't. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we're headed here, but the, I was thinking of what I'm going to expect for this game, and the best analogy I got was Iowa Penn State two years ago in Kinnick. I look at that game and think, okay, that's kind of how I expect this game to go. Two great defenses, two coaches playing it conservative. Uh, to refresh the recollection of Penn State fans, Penn State won 17 to 12 Ugh. that game. Uh, it was seven to six at half. Penn State had one drive for a touchdown. Iowa had two field goals, missed a field goal in the first half. And uh, the other 10 points that Penn State got in the second half were all from turnovers. Uh, Tyler Goodson fumbled on Iowa's side of the fall. Um, defense held, but Penn State still got a field goal. And then Iowa was down four points late in the fourth. Stanley's pressing. He's trying to, to drive back, and he throws a pick. Penn State punches it in and goes up a very, you know, very, very commanding. At the time, it was, you know, 17-6, to 6, which felt massive. Um, and then I did get a very late touchdown, failed on the two-point, failed on the onside, and Penn State iced the game with the running, running game. But Iowa outgained Penn State. It was an ugly, gross game. Penn State got 10 points off of turnovers, two turnovers to none. And that was really the difference in that game. You know, that was an example of they didn't make the mistakes Iowa did, and they won. And that was really the big difference. And I expect something similar. Yeah, that's a, it's a game Penn State fans remember fondly because that was the one where uh, Noah Kane uh, iced it at the end of the game and kind of uh, made Penn State fans fall in love with him as a true freshman. Now, why, why can't our games against one another ever end with a normal score, Ben? Why does it always feel like 17-12 or 21-19 to or uh, that game in the 2000s that I will not reference because some Penn State fans get mad when you do that? Sure. Well, that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> this has been a sneaky good series if you like competitive football games. Not always pretty football games, but if you like competitive games, Iowa-Penn State, they, they just play each other really, really tight, and Penn yeah. State's obviously gotten the better of that. And last year was very much an exception and an, a weird year overall and Will Levis is obviously not as good of a quarterback as Sean Clifford, and I don't I don't know where you guys are at with Sean Clifford. He seems like he's really coming into his own. Um, I mean, he, he seems super impressive. As, uh, I was looking at, he's thrown 153 passes, and he's only thrown three picks and got really really good numbers. See, behind Dotson's the really scary guy. This guy I'm most scared of. Um, but yeah, they just can't. I don't know. They're competitive games, uh, somewhat similar styles. At least when James Franklin plays Kirk, they see he seems to adopt and mirror Kirk's. I don't know. I don't know. Watching enough Penn State to know how much that happens outside of Iowa. I mean, how often does it? Do they play those kind of games from anybody else, or do they play 
more modern football when they don't play Iowa? Well, it's it's interesting because the reason I have such a hard time answering that question is because we are now on Penn State's fourth offensive coordinator in like five years or fourth and sixth years or something like that. So any common thread that happens across a bunch of Penn State games basically stems from the fact that like, you know, it's almost like an element of randomness, but you look at uh, Penn State against Iowa and I, it's something we talked about a little bit before the podcast started. I just think the fact that James Franklin knows what to expect heading into any game against Iowa means that he is able to better prepare his team. The thing that's always made James Franklin interesting is when like weird stuff happens and he has to throw his plan out the window and kind of just wing it. I think back to the uh, infamous Michigan State game where there was a three and a half hour weather delay. I think back to uh, some of the Ohio State games against Penn State where like, how do I phrase this? Like if Penn State gets into a situation where they can keep it close against Ohio State, they can get a few havoc plays, that's one thing. But if not, it's a lot of just like, I mean, you basically have to hope that Ohio State shoots itself in the foot. Against Michigan, every game seems to be close and weird. And I just think that's because every Michigan game, like based on how Michigan plays, kind of ends up close and weird. So I don't know. Like it's it's actually not something I've ever really thought about. But at the same time, like that would make it why playing against Iowa has gone the way that it has because James Franklin has just figured out how to coach and play against Iowa. Um, and yeah, like I I – as we sit here, I still have no idea what I'm going to predict in this football game. Like, oh, it's absolutely. Okay. It's abs- it's absolutely no idea because, like, I generally agree with you that I think the turnover battle is going to be huge in this game, but also like, I feel like I'm sapped of my powers to be able to predict a winner in this game if the turnover battle ends even because I think both of these teams are both really good at forcing them and really good at not committing them. So. Right. Like as I sit here and I try to figure out what my scores are going to be, and I'm like, I'm going to cower it out and say I'll give my score on like our podcast uh, that we do at the end of the week when it's me and my co-host. Sure. But like, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Like, do you think that we are able to predict any sort of score, or you know? And you kind of mentioned this this to me earlier. It's essentially a coin flip game. Do you oh, yeah. think that the safest thing to say is someone's scoring 20, someone is scoring 17, and good luck trying to figure out who that team is? That That's what I would predict. You know, I, I what's the name of your guys' punter? I can, sorry, slipping on his name. Uh, Jordan Stout. He's the punter, Stout. kickoff guy, and field goal guy. Got it. I, I saw that. I was looking up. I was like, oh, okay. I think it's going to come to a few quirky plays. I mean, I, I think both coaches are going to say we love our defense and love our punter, and we don't want to make a mistake, and then they're going to both lean into that. So, I, I yeah, I mean – I'm not much of a gambler, but if I were, I'd, I'd take the under because I think James Franklin will say, hey, yeah, that's fine. we got to not make mistakes. That's item one, two, and three on the agenda. Uh, if we make mistakes, I was, it's going to steamroll and it's going to be a problem. Um, but then to that end, missed field goals. I was looking at you through the SP Plus rankings. I saw Penn State's was 58th, which is interesting. Why is Penn State's so relatively low on, on that ranking, do you think, Bill? I just thought that, that was interesting. Uh, so the answer is that Stout is a, like, he is a killer leg. He is an excellent uh, punter. He's an en- excellent kickoff man. Penn State's generally been pretty good at covering uh, punts and kickoffs, but their return game hasn't been stellar, and Stout is six for nine on field goals this year with a mixed, missed extra point. There was an expectation coming into this season that Penn State was going to have a 40 yards and in field goal kicker and a 41 yards and out field goal kicker, with Stout being the latter. Uh, that just hasn't happened. He's taken on all kicking duties, and he's been good, but I also think that between Penn State's uh, Kickoff returns mainly because they have Jahan Dotson on punt returns. Jahan Dotson is like a freak of nature. That yeah, and those place scary. kicking issues, I would say, are probably the two reasons why. But I will, uh, I will be sure to annoy Bill Connolly and ask him about this at some point. No, I was just curious. No, it just it was, it was fascinating. It's like okay, because it's like his punt return average is higher than Tory Taylor's, and we love Tory Taylor, and I we think he's tremendous. 
he's he's fantastic but it's like oh their punter's even even better wow that's amazing you're you are okay the one thing i'm going to say is that obviously you would prefer if penn state does not score a single point in this game but if penn state does score I think you are going to laugh at how hard Jordan Stout can kick a football. Like I, I don't think Penn State would do this, uh, but his w- w- field goal long in his career was in 2019. He banged in a 57 yarder, and okay. I think if Penn State, if Penn State was in a situation where it could kick a 55 yard field goal and missing it wouldn't like be wholly catastrophic, like I feel like they would have confidence in letting him do that. So okay, so like it's the, if it's the end of the half and Penn State's like, all right, we've got five seconds left, as opposed to a Harry Mary, let's throw, do a sixty yarder and let's see if he can hit it. That's, I mean, that's on the table. I, okay. I don't, I don't know if they'd go out to sixty, but I definitely okay. think somewhere in the fifties they would. Be, his he's bet he's made one from fifty this year. One his long last year was from fifty, and uh, his first year in Happy Valley was fifty seven. His longest punt this year has been seventy six yards. I think he had a quote this year. Uh, about how he wishes there were points that could be given to uh, uh, place kickers on kickoffs if they kick it through the uprights because he is capable of doing that. So Sure. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that'll be fun. I think, yeah, we are headed to a punt matchup. But I, I have one big fear that I guess I never didn't articulate, and it's it's uh, it's Sean Clifford scrambling and then Dotson getting open. I think Iowa's coverage will hold for the most part. But when the play breaks down and it gets out of the pocket, it was like I, they think the third touchdown you guys had against Indiana, that that exact play is my nightmare, where he like gets flushed out of the pocket, there's some pressure, but then he just finds a way to get the ball to his guy in space because he breaks down. It was a, that's that's I saw that play happen. I was like, oh gosh, yeah, that's so exactly how Penn State's going to burn us. It's it's interesting that you say that because Penn State playing Indiana last week. I, I'm really glad that you mentioned that Kirk's going to want to play uh, his cover two. He's going to want to keep, you know, he's going to want to try and keep stuff in front of them. He's going to want to try and bait the quarterback into throws because that's what Indiana does. Like they played a ton of cover two last week. They took away a lot of the space for Sean Clifford to throw into. And he had three passing touchdowns last week. The first one against Uh, The first one was to Brenton Strange, where he did that sort of thing. Like, he made the linebacker uh, question whether or not he was going to run or throw. The linebacker came a little too late. He ends up tossing it in, and uh, Brenton Strange ran into AEW women's champion Britt Baker, DMD, on the sideline. Uh, That second touchdown was just Jahan Dotson finding the tiniest pocket of space and Clifford making a throw into that pocket that I I didn't think he had in him. And then, like you mentioned, that third one. So... It's something interesting with Clifford. I think that through the first five weeks of the year, last year they were far more willing to use his legs. The year before that, they were far more willing to use his legs. But I think this year they've really wanted to establish him as a thrower and get him comfortable making throws in this offense. But that's what interests me against Iowa. Like Indiana brings a little bit more pressure than Iowa does. They have their linebackers like to fly around on delayed blitzes and stuff like that. But I think Clifford and Dotson have such a rapport with one another that if Clifford is able to extend a play, which he's shown some aptitude doing this year, if he's able to make Iowa respect his legs, he knows Dotson is going to be able to respond to that and get into those little bit of bits of pockets of space. So I actually think Clifford is going to have a rough game just because I think everyone has rough games against Iowa, uh, Iowa's defense. But I also don't think, and this is famous last words, he's going to make the kinds of mistakes that we have seen past quarterbacks make against them this year because he's a fifth year starter. He hasn't made those. Like you mentioned, he has three picks. One of those, I believe both of those were on Hail Marys that were uh, two of those were on Hail Marys that were picked off. And then last week, Indiana was able to bait him into one. So it's an in, like it's a fair concern. I, I absolutely think that. I think that Clifford is the kind of guy who has shown he can make you uh, pay for those sorts of things. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so you th- and it seems like Sean Clifford throws like 30, 30-ish passes a game. So that's kind of the sweet spot for, for Petrus. If, if you told me Petrus is going to throw more than 30 times. I would assume it means that Iowa fell behind. And this is one of those games where if Iowa was down 10 points, it's going to feel hopeless. I would also feel crazy confident if Iowa gets up 10 points. I mean, this is the kind of game I think it's going to be. Um, 
but like 30 is the sweet spot. If Peters is thrown more than 30 times, something's yeah. probably gone wrong. Um, you, I don't know you, if you feel that way about Sean Clifford. If he's thrown it more than 30 times, you think he's likely they'll try to take more shots? Um, I think that one thing that Clifford, Mike Yursich, and James Franklin all agree on is you take what the defense gives you. And that's why okay. I that's part of why I am so interested with this game. Because sure. I was not going to give you much of anything uh, under basically any circumstance. So if I like I think Clifford has been better this year. I think Penn State's running game has struggled a bit this year. Uh, they just haven't been able to get the kind of push across their run blocking. So not just with their uh, offensive line, but you know, tight ends, receivers, whomever else you might put in there. Sure. I think Clifford is going to be the guy who has to win them this game. And I'm interested in winning a game where there's going to be some, there's not going to be something that I was necessarily going to give you. They're not going to let you have those huge plays over the top uh, against their safeties. They're probably going to try and take out, you know, Dotson's not a guy you take out of a football game, but they're probably going to try and take out Parker Washington, take out uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, take out the tight ends, take out the threat of the running backs in the passing game, those sorts of things. So if they mess up once or twice, can Clifford make them pay? Or is this a kind of game where it's just going to be a lot of Clifford sitting, waiting, wishing, hoping that he's going to be able to get those kinds of throws into windows and make those throws into windows that are not there? That's what terrifies me the most, I think. Okay, interesting. All right, you know, no, yeah, I think they're going to hope to contain Dotson. Yeah, they're not going to stop him. I, I agree. Yeah. And he had a big catch last year. And even the Wisconsin game, I watched a bit of that, and I saw Dotson getting loose, and then Clifford not hitting him a couple of times when he got let loose behind the Badger D. And I think I was back in coverage probably better than Wisconsin's, but still. Yeah. Well, it's a that mix. Good. It's a mix of that and like Iowa's just not going to let you have those windows, right? Like if Jahan Dotson gets behind Iowa's defense it's because multiple players fell down. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. And the, yeah. So yeah, like that's, no, I, I was going to say, so that's what makes this so interesting to me. If James Franklin is someone who like, he said after, it might've been the Auburn game. It might've been the Wisconsin game. One of those first two games, uh, first three games, he said that Penn State wins something like 97 or 98% of the time when they win the big play battle and they win the turnover battle. I don't think Iowa is going to let you win either of those games. Uh, I think Iowa's specialty is not letting you make big plays or win the turnover battle. So it's just like the chess match in this football game is incredible. Oh, it is. Yeah, something's got to give – uh, it's like I'm just trying to envision Iowa's offense being successful, and it's it's almost like you just said, like somebody falls down. I mean, Iowa will probably take five-ish deep shots, and I bet three of those end up in sacks, and then I'm just hoping, okay, maybe you can hit on the other two for big chunk plays, because I I don't I just don't see it like a 15-play drive for Iowa working the ball down the field, and I don't see it for Penn State either. I just don't Same. see that. I think both teams are not gonna they're gonna try to establish the run, and neither one team's going to. I think you're going to see just those runs that go nowhere, and you're like, oh, why are they running the ball? Well, it's like because they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to give up a huge sack. They don't want their quarterback to throw it a bunch of times and turn the ball over. So they're but, going to just but, live with, yeah. But the interesting thing about that, and maybe the, maybe I just had blue and white tinted glasses on, if neither team can run the football and it comes down to the passing games, I probably feel a little more confident in Penn State's than I do in Iowa's, but I but like – it's so hard, so hard to imagine Penn State being able to actually go into Kinnick and have any sort of like successful passing game. Well, you don't need that many. I mean, I yeah, to, to, if, if seeing from your, I mean, you need if you hit on a couple of big passing plays, that might be enough. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think. I mean, I, I, I don't think the plan is to just try to get for those all at once and just do it nonstop because that's you're going to create more risk and opportunities for big plays for Iowa's defense. But if you get on a couple of shots, it's all you're going to need because I don't think Iowa's going to drive the ball. The only thing that neutralizes that a little bit from what I'm seeing is just special teams. It's it's possible that Charlie Jones has a big return or that, that Iowa plays enough of a field position game that they create enough short little fields that they can get some field goals and and 
call a couple of nice little plays to punch it into the end zone. I mean, points are just going to be at a premium. So, I mean, if I knew I was going to score 20 points, I'd probably feel really good. I mean, I don't remember what the over-under is on this, but it's like low 40s or something like that. Um, I mean, which which means like 20 20 and 17 is is what you need to hit the under. I mean, if both teams go above 20, you basically go into the over. Um, So it doesn't think much. I mean, I think there's some reason for optimism, but then – uh, I guess if I'm going to put uh, you asked about a score prediction quite a while ago, uh, <laughs> this is going to be more my my heart and not my head. I'm just kind of drinking the black and gold Kool-Aid. Uh, I'm just going to go with Iowa because it's a it's a home game and I'm just going to I'm just they made a believer out of me. So I think it's going to be close, but I won't be shocked and I won't be devastated if Iowa loses. I mean, we also mentioned this is as exciting and big and hyped up and, and crucial as this game is. It's also not crucial at the same time. It, what's funny yeah. is, you know, Iowa very much can and should win the Big Ten West, even if Penn State comes out on top. And Iowa losing isn't going to stop Penn State from going to win a Big Ten East title. I mean, that's just not as important as beating Ohio State uh, or Michigan State, Michigan. Those games are more important to those goals. Yeah. And frankly, from a playoff standpoint, if Iowa loses, it doesn't necessarily close the deal on a playoff. I mean, and that's pie-in-the-sky stuff from my perspective because there's just – that offense is too much of a question mark to think, can this offense sustain their level of play? And they can't unless they keep getting better. Um, but even then, you could envision a scenario where Iowa loses to Penn State and then either plays Penn State again or Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, wins out and beats wins that game and is back in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's this is gonna be fun. It's it's yeah. bizarre to have a game that the stakes are so high, but it's also just fun and low pressure at the same time. It's weird. I don't know how to describe it. Normally, I'd be really anxious about a game, but I, I'm not. It's like people are just gonna think Penn State's great if Iowa loses. And still think Iowa's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's it, it, it's like in part a style points thing. Right. Like if Penn State is able to win this game 35 to 10, then like all of a sudden I think Penn State is not like not being mentioned with Alabama and Georgia because I think they're just so far ahead of everyone else. But everyone's suddenly like, oh, you know what? Penn State might be able once the SEC sorts itself out to get that two seed. If Iowa goes in there and wins, you know, 49 to 10 or something like that, and Penn State just keeps shooting itself in the foot because Iowa makes it, then all of a sudden I was getting that sort of love and conversation. Like, it, it, like th- that's the way where I think this game turns into a disappointment for someone. Like if both of us can walk out of this game going, okay, Penn state lost by three, but I'm going to feel good. If you come out of this game going, I will lost by three, but you, like you mentioned, there's still so much ahead for Iowa. Like it's a little trickier for Penn state. I'd say, cause they have to, go to uh they have to go to columbus i think they have to go to east lansing oh, yeah. like the big like the, the divisions yeah. are just ridiculous but that like that sort of thing like it's not the end of the world like you mentioned over under is a uh, 41 and a half so you oh were, geez yeah yeah that's crazy low okay yeah and but like uh, like i just keep thinking of how i think to whatever extent i have a hot take and i will continue to like formulate this in the di- next day or two i think it is that Whichever team gets paid, like I almost think getting the ball first is what you want in this game, despite the fact that neither coach wants to do that. Because if you are able to pin the other team inside its own 15 or 20 with your punter, I think that that is going to give you a gigantic boost because it's something that Penn State fans have seen in the past. Penn State gets pinned inside its own 10 against Ohio State gets six yards on that drive, punts it to midfield. And then even if Penn State can't have a consistent drive, they can just keep pinning, keep pinning, keep pinning. Iowa can keep pinning, keep pinning, keep pinning. And it just turns into like that sort of game where at a certain point, you know the levy is going to break and you get points off of that. So that's a scary thought. Iowa like first and goal inside its own 10, especially inside its own five. Yeah, that's a freaky thought. Oh, I I was going to say first and 10 inside of its own five, my friend. That's even scarier for both for both sides, I think, which is how good these defenses are. Oh, yeah, this could be a punning battle because I know uh, Tory Taylor's been working on that coffin corner kick. And it was like, I think two games ago, he bounced and it went like if it moved an inch to the left, it would have been a perfect kick where it just skirts just to the left of the pylon. And it's it would have just been amazing. Mm-hmm. So a couple of these punts could just yeah, wreck it because then once it once, you know, you're running and the defense smells blood and wants to get the safety. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. Okay. That's that. That's the like sicko way of looking at this game. And I, in a way, I want that to sure. happen, but I also think I'd like really not be happy if that happened. But uh, yeah, Ben, any like final thoughts you want to say about this game before I wrap this up? I'll let you go back about your day. 
No, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. I said uh, I'm just preparing for a, a real slug match, but I think I'm, I'm just not excited. I mean, this is the biggest game prestige-wise for Iowa probably in, in 36 years. So, mm. well, let the people excited. know where let the people know where they can find you. They can find your work and find anything else you want them to find. So yeah, um, so I do a podcast on my own called The Pod of Rosedale with, uh, you know, I'm in Iowa, I've lived in Minnesota for 10 years, I got a buddy who's a Gopher fan, we do The Pod of Rosedale on Go Iowa Awesome, and you can find it uh, elsewhere, wherever podcasts are downloaded, and then I write for uh, Go Iowa Awesome, uh, I do the Aftermath articles is how I come into this, so check it out well, if you want to hear them, read my Well, writing. with all due respect to you, I hope this week's Aftermath article is very difficult for you to write, but otherwise, Ben... Thank you very much for coming on this edition of the podcast, my man. Oh, awesome, Bill. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I had a great time. And thank you to all of you for listening. As always, make sure you are subscribing to this podcast wherever you go and get your podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go and live a, give us a five-star review. Make sure you keep reading and supporting the site, following us on all of our various social media channels, buying shirts, all those sorts of things. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.